this is a continuation of Majjhima Nikaya number two. So, so I'll just recap and continue sort of where we left off. Again, the Buddha is just, this is a teaching uh, where he's teaching us how to restrain the asavas and how to abandon the asavas. <coughs> Uh, the defilements, so to speak. And he began by saying that the destruction of these asavas, these defilements, is for one who knows and sees, for one who knows and sees attention with perspective or attention without, uh, and what is attention without perspective. Mm. So he knows the difference. Mm, mm, mm. And then we went to the, f the first way to abandon the, these defilements is by seeing. And the Pali word is dasana. Mm. So defilements to be abandoned by dasana. So I looked it up and it's like, <laughs> it seems to suggest that the word apperception is a good translation for that. Mm. Seeing perception but like observing things and then over time seeing where they rooted sure, your actions sure. and so on. Sure. and you were saying the other day that this practice is basically about changing the significance of the thing hmm. well yeah yeah well like our, our perception is is that like uh, through through the experience of certain perceptions you, you get to get to understand more so next time you perceive the same thing you don't have to go through the same motions of recollecting what you understood understanding knowledge becomes part of now that perception becomes the significance of what you're seeing so you're not perceiving your knowledge directly like it's not written in this thing but because of the effort you made the knowledge now becomes the significance of your perception that's what the Buddha said um, the knowledge uh, is the result of perception. Perception comes first. Having perceived one then gets to develop knowledge about it. But once you know it, you don't need to keep telling yourself, oh, l let me now get the knowledge of this which I'm perceiving, because perceiving it will mean that knowledge is present. So that's, well, that's at least how I understand our perception as a, as a term. So, and yeah, that knowledge is on the level of changing the, the significance of things. So seeing a beautiful object for a mind that's not trained, uh, results in basically significance of sensuality significance of oh gratification of my pleasure joy I can get if I if I have this beautiful object uh, fear of losing the beautiful object you might have to protect it all that is significance of seeing the beautiful object but if you've been practicing sense restraint long enough understanding Dhamma sufficiently enough developing mindfulness to the extent necessary perception of beautiful will be signifying danger will be signifying peril like the Buddha said uh, like a like a was it the the uh, the pit filled with burning embers? Charcoal pit. Yeah, charcoal pit filled with burning embers, and uh, that's the same centrality. Now the uh, man sees it; he sees for what it is. And if somebody, <coughs> if two strong men would come and pick you up and carry you to to throw you in a charcoal pit, like your intention would be everywhere else. You would want to be ev anywhere else except there. You wouldn't want to go into the pit of burning embers. So that's how. The significance of sensuality must be developed in order for you to abandon sensuality. You need to start seeing it 
as a, as a charcoal pit full of burning embers. So the mind will completely, completely not want to even entertain it for a split second, so to speak. So if you cultivate that sufficiently enough, because sensuality is factually charcoal pit with burning embers, that will become apparent. And it's like the danger became apparent, the escape became apparent, and all these things that we will talk about. So the next time you see a sensual thing, that's that apperception. You're not perceiving the beautiful anymore. It's still the same thing you're perceiving, by the way. But now your perception with that knowledge is seeing the danger and the ugly. You, you have changed the significance of yeah. that yeah. perception. You've undone yeah. that, those significances. of Exactly. Because those significances were not set in stone. If there were freedom from sensuality, right. it would not be possible. They were yeah. simply maintained through your perpetual engagement, careless engagement and ignorant engagement with desire and sense gratification. Right. So you, you kind of start off, obviously, full of lust and ignorance. Yeah. And seeing your body as a wonderful thing. Mm. And as a tool of getting more wonderful things. Yeah. But then you need to, the practice is to re-signify it or take apart that significance there by looking at it for what it is. Well, exactly. And in order for you to start seeing it for what it is, you need to start restraining your body first. So you're still regarding sensuality as beautiful. So that's like, that's one layer, so to speak. But then acting out of body towards more gratification of sensuality, seeking more sensual object, that's another layer you add on top of the layer of your thought. Adding. So, as long as any of those layers are there, you are fueling that misperception, that wrong significance, that mistaken notion of sensuality as beautiful and uh, non-harmful. So you need to first start restraining the coarser <coughs> layer, which is layer of, of physical action. Even if you mentally still don't see a reason for it, and you're still attracted to it, and you still don't see it as dangerous or perilous, you need to restrain your body first, pretty much out of faith initially until you get to understand it for yourself and then you're the same like we said that many times before you come with a horrible skin disease it itches like hell you go to see the doctor the doctor gives you medicine but says well before you start, start applying the medicine you need to stop scratching it because it doesn't matter the amount of medicine you apply the amount of your meditation you do and so does you read uh, if you keep scratching your itch you are aggravating your condition right. so he doesn't know that the doctor's medicine will help him the only way to find out is first, out of faith, to take it on trust that he should stop scratching. Well, see, yeah, he has to take on faith that the doctor is right and that, that scratching is the wrong thing to do. So he's <laughs> got to keep telling himself in a way. Sure. Or really believe the doctor, yeah. oh, this scratching is bad yeah. rather than the scratching yeah. is good for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, th so yeah, that's like you, you take this. Yeah, exactly. You start rewriting the significance. Rewriting, yeah. rewriting. So. Um, you, you take, basically, you take an external view either faith and obviously some consideration you don't want to just be faithful you want to consider it as we said before don't just blindly take it but think about it reason and see which is least likely to be wrong is this doctor is there a good chance that he might be right what do I have to lose either way so it's not like oh you follow this teacher to the end of the world and like for the rest of your life no you take on his instruction until you're cured mm -hmm. and then you won't need to have faith in him because you're cured so you know that he was right there's no room for faith now. It's just confidence that what you did on account of that instruction was correct. 
But even then, so you have to take it externally. Because your whole condition is affected with the disease, so to speak. So you have no health reference point. Since you can remember, your skin was itching. So you take it on trust externally, external point of view saying, actually, if you stop scratching sufficiently enough, the time will come when you will heal. Now you value the, the idea of healing after, you know, thinking about it. So you take it on trust. So whichever view you take on trust is basically like, like grafting a tree. You take a completely different thing and then you put it onto this tree. And if you cultivate it rightly enough, it will grow into the tree and then it will become a new tree. That's like how the grafting is done. So then you have the mix of the previous and, 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 and the new tree, so to speak. So the, you have to graft the view onto your experience. They will then take over things because they would, if the view was right that you took, if the, Buddha, if the instruction was for, from the Buddha, for example, and you took it rightly and you've been restrained, it will have to take, like, it will have to start growing correctly because the view was right and that means it corresponds to the universal nature of things such as sensuality was truly unpleasant, it was truly burning embers, it was truly dissatisfactory. And you took that on trust and then kept applying it and kept applying it and keeping the basis of restraint, and then it took root because those were the exactly matching conditions for the view that you took. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's the same. So you take the, you take the medicine, you follow the doctor's instruction. If it doesn't work, well, you review it. Is it because I'm not restrained enough, honestly speaking? Or is it because, no, I'm completely restrained, I'm doing everything rightly, but this, this doesn't seem to be curing me of my itch. So maybe I should look for another doctor. And then do the same. So you do want results. Don't just take it on faith without any results whatsoever. But then at the same time, don't forget that you don't really uh, know what right results are at that stage. So there has to be some time involved on... Uh, during which you are applying these things out of faith and confidence that, that it will help you. It can't happen overnight. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it takes... So just to recap again, mm. these defilements to be abandoned by seeing, by apperception. Mm. So it says that an ordinary person does not understand what things are fit for attention and what things are unfit for attention. Since that is so, he attends to things that are unfit for attention and he does not attend to those things fit for attention. And what are the things unfit for attention that he attends to? They are things such that when he attends to them, the unarisen defilement of sensual desire arises the defilement of being arises and the defilement of ignorance arises mm. or increases yeah increases yeah so he, he doesn't see what the th you know what he's attending to is actually causing him these problems the way he's attending mm -hmm. to things is making defilements worse increasing them sustaining them maintaining them but the noble disciple, because he attends to things with a perspective, mm. he can see, ah, this is suitable, and unsuitable. this thing that I attend to now, which is kind of uh, neutral maybe in itself, is actually increasing my 
essential design. Mm. Mm. Then you realize it's not neutral. Yeah. So, the, so the noble disciple then has this ability to see his mind, yeah. to see the defilements that are in his mind and are rising, increasing or decreasing. Yeah. While well, he's well think about it in the same simile of the skin condition and the medicine from the doctor in the beginning. <coughs> all you know is itch. You don't really know what's helpful, what's not helpful. So you start restraining, you start putting this cream on, you start not exposing it to sun, cleaning your wound, as the Buddha would say, and so on. Um, and then it starts getting better. So now you do recognize improvement for yourself, which means you don't need to keep reminding yourself of the faith you have in a doctor because it's working. But you're still not fully healed. So that, that would be the equivalent of a noble disciple. So from the point of view of partially healed wound and diminished itch, he knows exactly now, because that's now his criteria. Oh, actually, this is now bringing back that old itch that was, that was gone, that disappeared. But if I do this, then it's making it even less itchy than before. So it's healing more or, or, or aggravating it mm -hmm. again. Mm -hmm. And now he can know because he gained some perspective due to the actual healing of his skin condition. So that's why the noble disciple would know what's fit for attention, what it isn't, because he actually sees it. Oh, if I attend to this, that which hasn't healed yet, it's not going to heal. If I attend to this, that which hasn't healed yet is healing more. But it, but also, ordinary people can sort of can practice that. You can see well yeah, if I if well I'm you, could, you should be trying. Yeah, I'm doing these actions, yeah. and what is the result of it? More central desire, yeah. more you know distraction, dull-minded, laziness. You won't have you won't have a, a, a putujana can by all means and should by all means be trying to emulate sotapanna right. or higher because that's how you have a chance of understanding it. But don't cons confuse yourself into like believing that you are now because look i'm doing it so what what putujana will not have is the immediacy of that criteria that a, a noble disciple has he immediately knows he might choose to ignore it but it's visible for him it's immediately visible whether this is suitable or unsuitable right how unsuitable this is or how suitable this is putujana doesn't have that he doesn't have the immediacy of that criteria, which means he needs to invest more effort, like wider effort, into constantly recollecting the context of the danger that he took on faith, the context of avoiding this, cultivating that, what doctor told him. He needs to keep more in his mind because he doesn't have the immediate verification that, oh, look, my wound's getting better, my wound's getting worse. For him, it's all worse. Yeah, he's suffering. Yeah. So he has no, no, no criteria that would come internally from the wound. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's all like what he has adopted as, as, as views and faith. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But that's what I mean, like as I said, no doesn't need to remind himself anymore that the doctor knows what he's talking about because his wound, is, that's the significance of his wound now. Healing wound is basically right. significance of a right. doctor was correct. Yeah, now he has got a criteria. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He knows what healing then, is. Yeah, he sees it. He sees it now. Yeah. So now he can pick up the sign of 
unwholesome exactly. wholesome yeah. immediately yeah. In, in anything that he attends yeah. to and by seeing that this is increasing defilements hmm. he doesn't attend to it he doesn't go in that direction he chooses the other way yeah. but he abandons the defilements because yeah, of that exactly, seeing exactly that direct seeing is the direct feedback right And anyway, it, here it says that this, the, these three asavas, these three defilements, sensual desire, being, and ignorance, hmm. and just being, the defilement of being. Maybe we can briefly say what. Well, didn't we do the whole talk on that? Yeah. Being, being, bhava, vibhava, yeah, yeah, being, existence. Yeah. So any. So well, I don't want to get into that now because that is. Yeah. We did the whole talk on that. That anything that increases being yeah. ignorance. Yeah. So it's basically being is what you have left after you abandon sensuality. Those are the three types of being. The sensual being, the, the material being, uh, and the immaterial being. So okay. When there is a sensual being, being is there. Because that's the coarsest type of being. It's not only when you engage it. So if you're not free from sensuality, you're always your being is on the plane of sensuality, on the plane of the senses. Now, if you have abandoned sensuality, then your being is on the plane of the presence of the form. Then, if you abandon that, then your being is on the level of you know, the absence of the form and so on. But now that's just way too abstract for any practical application for somebody who will be listening to this talk. Right. So practically speaking, whatever your current situation is, means it exists. It's present as such. It has appeared. It means being is there. If you're not an arahant, means there is a degree of being. And being means misconception in that sense. Being is unwholesome. I am. Yeah, exactly. So whenever there is a being, there is appropriation. Whenever there is a being, there is a sense of self. Whenever there is a being, there is a sense of I am. Right. And vice versa. Whenever there is a sense of I am, means there is a degree of being there. But it's, uh, and this is saying that the noble disciple sees... He would see what would increase that and what wouldn't yeah, increase yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it's, right. it's, it's a bit coarse to say, oh, sense of self is what the being is, but practically speaking it is. There is no sense of being or existence that you can perceive apart from your sense of self. So even when in philosophy people think they're talking about the pure being independent of an individual, that's a pure abstraction that's within their sense of self and being of it. So being, bhava, existence in philosophy, whatever you want to call it, whichever word you want to use, if you are honestly and like strictly looking at it as a phenomena, it's inseparable from the sense of self and your current situation. That's why your current situation will either be on the level of kama bhava, rupa bhava or arupa bhava, depending on how much effort you, you made to abandon it. So yes, practically speaking, being bhava is that. Being of I am, even if you don't explicitly think in terms of yourself. The fact is that your point of view already carries a degree of that self-centeredness and, and conceiving of I am, that being is there. So it, it's subtler than I am such and such, but it's a kind of root of it anyway. So if you want to practically start thinking about being and, and trying to get a criteria what would increase the being, what would decrease the being, think from that, oh, the self-centeredness, the conceit, the I am, the self, the, 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 the point of view. Right. So just ref and reflecting 
on well exactly will this like again is this is this pleasing to me is this displeasing to me why does that matter to me because in a way you realize that many on many instances you operate like throughout your life just out of these um, things that they infer from the sense of self to me and for me is like yeah but did I ever stop and think why why is this a problem for me or why do I want this no it just happened that my sense of self wanted this that was providing me with gratification and I never questioned it so stop using your sense of self as a reference point means to, to some extent you're already shifting away from that like uh, perpetuating that being with that wrong view and the ultimate being that there is a use as a reference point is centrality that's the first and foremost for most people like pleasure pain that's the criteria that's literally the 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 place the self-centered kind of the center from which they infer whether something is worth doing or not worth doing will this provide me with pleasure or will this punish me with pain but so if if you stop using that center you stop relying on Kama Bhava, you stop relying on the central being. And instead, maybe you inform your perspective a bit more. And you say, well, sense restraint will hurt me initially, but, you know, if it's to believe all these wise men and even my own reasoning, I think there is a chance that it might heal my, my wound of central itch and so on. So immediately you're choosing pain, pretty much, which is against the criteria of your Kama Bhava and what you are, basically. But, so see, you're not using that self-centered being of karma, sensuality, as a reference point anymore, but are actually dissolving it into something more wholesome, something more informed. Mm -hmm. And if you abandon sensuality, you have abandoned karma bhava, so your being bhava has diminished to a great extent. Okay. Now there are subtle forms of bhava, but again, you're unable to think about subtle forms of bhava unless you're already free from karma bhava, because whenever you think about all sorts of types of bhava, you're thinking it through the framework of bhava that you are, okay. which is for most people, karma bhava, because yeah. most people are not free from sensuality. Even the lower noble disciples are not free from sensuality, so they're not free from that, from that bhava yet. Again, it says, uh, the ordinary person. This is how he attends unwisely or with without perspective. Without perspective, yeah. He, what, he asks questions internally, so to speak. Was I, in the, was I in the past? Was I not in the past? Having been, what did I become in the past? What shall I be in the future? Having, having been, what shall I become in the future? Mm. Or else... He is inwardly perplexed about the present thus. Am I? Am I not? Am I not? What am yeah. I? How am I? Where has this being come from? Where will it go? There's a few more. But, uh, sure. So that's what I was see. saying. See, in, in that instance just, just clearly shows how not just that you're not free from the gratuitous self-centered sense of I am. I am the center of the world. Ha like, was I in the past world? Like, everything is determined by you and whether you were and will you... And are, like, are you going to be? That's already completely gratuitous. But so even if you don't necessarily act out of that wrongly assumed center of sense of self, 
entertaining these questions still perpetuates the centeredness of that gratuitous view. That's why those are wrong questions, as the Buddha would say. Right. Not because, oh, you know, you, you can never express what the true self is. No. It's simply because any of those questions still revolves around the assumption that that self is in the center and it's worth answering. Self-centered questioning yeah. point of view. So, yeah. am I in the past? Was I, was I in the past? Will I be in the future? Takes for granted that that self is the center of that whole experience and thus it's important for me to know was I in the past and will I be in the future. But that's actually irrelevant. What is relevant is to stop being centered upon that self-centered. So mindfulness is already a way of, of, of cultivating or maintaining or preventing yourself from becoming reabsorbed uh, too deeply into that gratuitously assumed self-centered I am mm -hmm. that just basically always serves its own purpose. So uh, you live, the noble disciple lives according to uh, the nature of things exactly rather than the, na his, the his nature of himself yeah. Yeah. so as it, as it says this is how he attends without perspective so he this ordinary person doesn't have that perspective of, of the nature of things yeah and thus he thinks he's the center he's the yeah that's that's implicit that's around. part of the significance he doesn't even need to think it he needs to actively think the opposite yeah. to eventually undo that significance but one could do oh, so the Buddha says this yeah. yet I'm doing this yeah so exactly. let me have faith and do what he says, not what I put Absolutely, myself yeah. second. And that's why faith, as blind as it is, always in its nature, can be a factor that can, uh, that can help somebody with the right view. Not in itself, right. but exactly. If somebody out of faith, firm faith, decides to use Buddha's reference point from the suttas and not his reference point. So I want to do this, the Buddha says you shouldn't do it, and I don't do it. Yeah. And you stick to it. It's going to take longer than if you make more active effort in terms of vipassana. But nevertheless, you are doing the work. That's why there is a, the, the sadhanusari type. They want through faith, adopts certain behavior and sticks to it. And it goes against his entire grain of his being. But he sticks to it and that being will evaporate sufficiently and he becomes sotapanna, like sadhanusari that leads to the right view. Mm-hmm. So yes, whether you, and whether and, and for most people it would be a combination, a bit of everything, like some sure, stuff sure. taken on faith, some stuff taken on upon your own reasoning, basically anything, any little helps, and you would be taking which and any help you can get. Because as we, we've said in the past, or I've said in the past as well, in the suttas it's clear, like sexual sexual activity needs to be abandoned. It's unwholesome. The Buddha says it. For the practice of dhamma, yet, you cannot have it. Yet. For many people, we go, yeah, but well, you know, yeah, but, hey, yeah. you know, yeah. you know, well, it's okay. For Means me they don't have enough faith. Yeah. Because if they did, they wouldn't even need to reason. Mm. I mean, some people need to reason. But I personally need to reason or needed to reason things. Faith wasn't really working to that to that extent. Whichever way it is, you do need to start emulating that behavior, either on account of faith or on account of your reasoning. Mm -hmm. But you need to start doing it. Not like, oh, I have faith, the Buddha is the greatest. But does your behavior emulate what the great Buddha said? Or no? Or like, yes, I have reasoned everything. The Buddha is perfectly right. Again, does your behavior emulate now that rightness that you reasoned? No. Well, you will not bear results. It's again like the simile the Buddha gave, like a, a hen that sits on her eggs. 
even if she doesn't wish for the chicks to pierce she is making the effort doing the work and sitting on her eggs they will come out safely and be born into this world right. alternatively you have the hand that doesn't sit on her eggs doesn't do the work but she wishes that her chicks come out in this world they won't wishing is irrelevant whether you wish or not it's basically whether you do it or not that's going to bear the results and the Buddha said that the Dhamma and the practice and the results of Dhamma are not to be obtained by the wishing alone. Like you can wish and because of the wish you start making the effort and sit on the eggs until they hatch. But if you just wish and glorify your wish as most people's faith practice these days is, you're not doing the work. That's exactly, oh, I'm, I'm so devote, devoted, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm so proud, I'm so happy, I'm so inspired. Do you keep the five precepts? Do you keep the eight precepts? Are you celibate? Do you eat once a day? How much time do you spend in solitude? Do you read the suttas? Oh, no, 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 because I have such a great faith. Well, that faith is meaningless. It's like, I have a faith in this doctor, oh, but I'm not. Neither abstaining from, from scratching, neither covering it from the sun, neither cleaning it from the dust, neither applying the medicine. I just have a shrine that venerated this great doctor. And it's like, okay. So you cannot possibly expect to heal but uh, it just reminds me also of the the person with faith real faith mm. proper faith he he, si- he takes on that idea he has that idea the buddha is the teacher i am the disciple yeah isn't it? it's, yeah. it's one of the suttas yeah yeah, yeah. He, he knows what he's taught i yeah. do not know. i do not know yeah. even though i th- i believe this way <laughs> yeah. but he's saying to go this way well if, the buddha if is the things teacher, are at odds i know who's right yeah yeah <laughs> if things are yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so again just to continue on that uh, ordinary person <coughs> when he attends without perspective one of six views arise in him the self exists for me no self exists for me I perceive self with self I perceive not self with self, with self. I perceive not self with not, not self. self it is this self of mine that speaks and feels and experiences mm. here and now the result of good and bad actions yeah. but this self of mine is permanent everlasting eternal not subject to change mm. and it will endure as long yeah. as eternity well all of that is on the level of significance of your experience of your self-centered experience those are not explicit thought that people will have in them I will live forever nobody thinks that Yet right. everybody is a victim of their view, unless you're a Sotapanna. So that's what you need to understand when you read these suttas. It's like, it's going to make sense? Oh, okay, okay. But then it's like, yeah, but I don't partake on this level. This is for somebody who already understood. And he's describing how, when you boil down things, how they're seen. Practically speaking, you don't see that. You are a victim already of your own delusion, of your own ignorance. So practically speaking... If you want to understand these six basically products, you should see that what do they all have together in common? Is that self, it's basically not a problem, but the result of a problem. Your sense of self is a symptom. So, it's a symptom of your, your itch is a symptom of your skin condition. In itself, it's not the issue. Because you can itch and scratch and so on, but unless you uproot the underlying cause, you're still under the same condition. So the sense of self, I am, I am not, will I be, all of that is already the result of that self-centeredness that we mentioned before. 
and that's where the problem is only seeing or basically mostly seeing things through your own point of view that's fueled by greed aversion delusion seeking the pleasure avoiding pain and distracting yourself from neutral that's why sense restraint um, like virtue and sense restraint is already kind of forcing you to go against the grain of your sense of self that's why it's actually psychologically frightening for people to 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 like even if they're not celibate, just the idea of celibacy or the idea of not scratching their itch freaks them out. <gasps> well, that's like too much pain to bear because their sense of self is so dependent upon those outlets. But if you actually start practicing that, you are already undermining that gratuitous self-centeredness. So your sense of self is diminishing, even if you don't necessarily you know, measure it or you can quantify it or something. So it's not about finding the answer to what myself and this myself. It's about uprooting things sufficiently enough until those six types of perceiving it are dissolved and then you know it and then what's left is with not self you see not self 